This is episode 119, and today we're talking about finding deals. Now, uh, before we get into it, first, I want to say, um, if you really like our, our podcast, please do make sure that you hit subscribe, make sure that you share it with your friends, that you think you'll get some value out of it, and don't forget to leave us a review, because the more we grow, the better guests that we can get on, the more value that we can provide to you. So, um, yeah, we're talking about finding deals. The last time Kenny and I were on, I know we're doing one uh, guest episode in between, but the last time Kenny and I were on, we talked about finding your criteria. So uh, after you determine your criteria, the next thing you want to do is like, you're talking about getting in the game now. You're looking for deals and you're signing deals and you're doing all that fun stuff. And hopefully you're about to start writing some offers. Yeah, if you did not listen to that episode, you should definitely go back and listen to it. It's good. Um, just a lot of nuggets in there. And then finding deals. Um, I would say as we film this, I keep telling people, I always have my sayings, but cash is not king in these days. Cash There's, is trash, right? Is that no, what you're saying? No. No? Cash is not king anymore because there's so much cash on the sidelines, whether it's buying stocks, Bitcoin, art, real estate, real estate, Michael Jordan cards, LeBron James cards, Air Jordans, classic cards. There's so much, there's like a $2 trillion sitting there waiting for deals. So why I say cash is not king, because everyone's like, when cash is king is when there's so many deals that nobody has money. That's how I look at it. But guess what? Now there's so much money, but there's so few deals. So what king is the person that can find the deal, that's the king. So, Kenny, I want to ask you something too before we like jump okay. into where you find okay. deals. No, it's good. Okay. I just love asking your opinion because you um, are the okay. king of like reading and listening and doing all the study on the market. I uh, had a client, a referral yesterday that called me and she said she was looking to buy an apartment building, but she says, you know, I'm not the type of person that, you know, wants to overpay for buildings. And it's kind of like, right, who does? Um, I'm not going to just throw offers out on buildings that where the numbers don't work. That's not me. I want to just corner apartment building, corner apartment building. And I'm worried that rates are going to go up. And I'm worried, like, we're due for a crash soon. I see the writing on the wall, 2005, blah, blah, blah. People are, you know, values are going down and everything. So I know that none of us have a crystal ball and that none of us can predict. But what sort of economic factors do you see at play here and how that might uh, kind of play out for this crazy market where people are overpaying or going over list price to buy properties. Interest rates are very low. Inventory is incredibly low. What do you kind of see as far as like this perfect storm that's happening for this kind of hot market that we're in? Well, I do. Fortunately, I say fortunately, I have because of uh, COVID, because of Zoom, because of podcasts and things, I'm very I'm grateful in some ways for COVID because we're able to listen to a lot of very, very smart people that I've never got to listen to and that never came on Zoom. They're like, I'm going to come on Zoom. So why Crystal asked me that is because I listen to a lot of really smart people. I listen to them that are in the middle, on the right, on the left, doesn't matter. The overall consensus is, yes, there is some doom and gloomers like everything's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Buy gold, buy silver, buy Bitcoin, whatever. Um, but that the number one searched question on Google 
about real estate is is the marketing crash. But then you see people like, didn't Jamie Dimon just come out maybe last week saying, I can see this run going through 2023. So, so that's the market. So here's, it's very, very simple, guys. Everybody is scarred, including all of us, if you're in the game from last crash. Well, if you've lived through it and you've been old enough yes. to understand. And your client is talking about the last crash. Yes. So. And the 80s crash when yep. interest rates were 11%. And, Ma, and Monsi, who's sitting over there watching us, God bless her. Um, we're putting, I am going to, well, not now, I'm going to start doing monthly webinars or whatever you want to call from market surveys of what's going on. So Monsi, when we were looking at the chart, I even showed her when I said, Monsi, look back in 2005. At this one chart. And there's a line here that says, this is like the median, right? On 2005, you look at the chart for the amount of inventory of building was like literally off the chart. And the line's here. We're down here. We are literally so far apart, right? So number one, because everybody keeps forgetting, since the Great Recession, we didn't do anything for five to seven years. And that is build. We didn't build. We are way behind on building. And guess what? You can't build fast enough. Number two, they are, we are all live in different cities and places of the world, or let's talk about the U.S. So we know that Las Vegas had the worst unemployment. It's slowly coming back. When are you going to go to a concert or convention in Vegas? It could be 2022, 2023. That's not good. When an unemployment at some point was 34%. We know that probably delinquencies or foreclosures are high there. Same with a place like Orlando, where there's huge conventions. Everybody thinks it's Disney World. No, Orlando's huge convention business and Disney World. So then we live in a place like San Diego, where there is no inventory. Nobody's moving. Then you go and go, what's the next thing? Everybody just refied the could, took 2.5% 30-year fixes. And they took $100,000 out, and guess what they did, Krista? I'm living in my house entirely, my kitchen, my bathroom. Well, take cash out for almost free and go redo it. Hey, I'm still having a house. I can live here another 20 years. They might not move. Then there's another thing called the Great Reset. That's what we're doing with, or the Great Migration. So people that lived in California, San Francisco, LA, New York, they went and moved to a place like Florida and stuff. They sold a house in San Francisco where they made $2 million, and they overpaid somewhere in Arizona. Guess what? They didn't ever pay because like shit. This house for a million bucks. What a deal. What's I have two million. So then you have that. But what caused the last crash? Oversupply, not enough demand. And a really lack of spread across. But they also did is this here. We call it the heartbeat and pen loan. If you had a heartbeat and a pen, you can get a loan. Those days are gone, my friend. Okay? The amount of Cash out refinances before the last recession was way bigger than now. The last shitty mortgages that we wrote is that every bank was doing. Name a bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chief. They were all doing shitty subprime loans they shouldn't have, right? It was all happening. They're not doing nothing. There's banks right now. You're self-employed? No, we're not even doing a loan. What? What do you mean? No. Oh, you want to invest in cash out? I don't think so. What? I mean, I just talked to a lady. Kenny, because of COVID, yeah. My, my commitment to the bank, my bank's not doing cash on a refund. Are you kidding me? Uh, no. How can they do that? They can do that, right? So I look back at all, but we're, what my point is, we're scarred from before. And we bring it forward and we go, it's going to happen. So where are we at now? But what you're saying is, in comparison, 
a lot of the fundamentals, fundamentals, or a lot of the things that were happening back in 2005 are not happening now. So, in fact, if you were to compare on your charts and graphs and things that you're looking at, is that there were a lot of other things happening in 2005, the last recession, that are not present today. Yeah. Even so we, though we have a pandemic. So we had terrible underwriting standards for right mortgages, massive amount of cash out refinancing, right? People buying third and fourth investment properties with minimal or zero down, losing. My, my one post I post about is, uh, somebody reminded me yesterday last week, is the, uh, well, I forget the 12 months where I said, do not do this. It's the trap. Getting the trap like, oh, well, I bought these three homes because they're going to go up in value and I'm going to sell them all and be a billionaire. People aren't doing that right now. The key. Right? The key, you, you, you have to qualify. You can't do 100% stated, stated on an investment property. Or 103 or 100. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously, it's, it's, it's it, the mindset was a lot of us back then, it was so crazy. Think about it, Crystal. If you stop and think, like, how crazy chaotic. It's like people, if you don't own a home, you're a loser back then. That's literally how the mentality was. So, you have all that. What do we have now? That's different. We do have massive amounts of money being printed into the system. We have more people than ever right now investing in the stock market, more than ever. Literally, way more. We've got things like Bitcoin out of control, technologies out of control. Out of control doesn't mean it's bad, it's just things are really moving. But what we do have is look, there's a lot of people. So, is there going to be some type of correction? I mean, I always imagine at some point there will be, but there could be a correction in in Nevada, but not here. There could be a correction in Florida, but not well, here. What I mean, the primary uh, thing that I hear a lot of people saying, and, and that I say too, is that something's got to give because they're printing so much money that some we're, we're going to pay for it somehow, some way. Do you? What is your view on that? Well, I just think ultimately at some point there will be more supply in the market. So the prices you see now could cool down, but everybody realized if we had a 10% pullback, we go, oh my gosh, I'm like, but we just had a 20% increase. And then what about the argument of rates are going to go up? Um, rates have gone up and then they just came back down. Um, the argument of rates is tough. It's very, very tough. Um, people think because when Jerome Powell's is not going to raise rates, that's nothing to do with rates. And I will just say this. There's 350 billion trillion trillion dollars of debt worldwide. 185 trillion dollars of the debt was in the last 20 years. If you wonder why everybody got rich, 185 trillion dollars. Um, Somebody gave this statistic yesterday, and I'm probably going to hack it and get it wrong. They said, if you made $1 million a year since Christ was born, which is 2,000-something years ago, every day, and they did the math, you would still not reach a trillion dollars. That's pretty crazy. So they added up. PDB, Patrick, um, and uh, wow. they, came to, was born. they came to 800, they're like, baloney. They did it, 800 something million dollars. 
You can make a million dollars learning for 2,000 years and you're not at a trillion dollars. We printed $8 trillion. Nobody, nobody's ever done this. They don't, so they don't, so this, the one thing is inflation is going to be crazy. So the one argument that I hear about interest rates is for sure, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that they have to go up at some point and, 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 you know, what goes up must come down, what goes down must come up. So one of the things that I hear is obviously since the government is printing all this money and they're adding to their debt, they can't afford to have higher interest rates. Therefore, they will keep them relatively low because they have to be able to pay their debt. So as a country with taxes and all the stuff we pay into, we basically make the government, let's say, makes $3.3 trillion in America. A trillion dollars goes to Social Security. A trillion dollars goes to entitlements. $500 billion at low rates goes to paying our deficit. That was before COVID. If rates double, it goes to a trillion. So they're servicing debt at 1.75 around there at 25 trillion, now 30 trillion. So if it goes to three, that goes to a trillion. So we're, we're, so this is worldwide, everybody. So how do you service it? So if rates go up, the market knows if rates went to 5%, we'd be paying $2 trillion on debt. We can't afford it. So we're printing more money. So you're robbing Paul to pay Peter. Right. So I, I guess that's sort of, even though we don't have a crystal ball, I just, before we get into finding deals, because this is the, I, always a question. The reason why I asked you this question, Kenny, and, and so that everybody could hear at least your thoughts on it was because that's like the number one thing people go like, well, you know, maybe the market's going to come down and now's not a good time to buy. And, you know, real estate's really expensive and I'm worried that it's going to crash and rates are going to go up. And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, um, I can tell you for us, I think it's just your excuse for me not to get a house. And I, I, I keep bringing it up because I'm so bitter about it. But um, you had said to me after we sold our house, it was like, yeah, but the market's going to correct at some point, And, I, you know, it's getting pretty hot and we need to kind of wait. And that was maybe in like 2015, 2016. And the market has continued to run since then. Did that pull back and correct? A little bit. But overall, we are higher than Do you know when we had pull back? When? When interest rates hit four and a half percent. Okay, so pull back when interest rates hit, hit four. That was before they went to two. But how much? Like, I can tell you our house that we sold in 2014 is worth more today than it was when we sold yeah, in 2014. Yeah, no, no. So the market overall has gone up if you compare it from one no, to the other. Thought. So my point of asking all of this is yep. that everybody wants to ask these questions, and then they end up not doing anything because they're frozen by all this talk, like all this noise about, you know, Trump and Biden and rates and, you know, stimulus money and, you know, the market's crazy and people are overpaying and it's going to crash soon and we're overdue for a crash, all this kind of talk. So that's why I want to kind of go through that first before we start, start talking about buying deals because a lot of people aren't moving because they keep waiting for this day to come. And my personal opinion is if your deal cash flows today, look, let me tell you, at least for multifamily, you're not going to get a loan if it for an amount greater than the property can service. So a bank is not going to give you a loan that's greater than the property can handle. They are so conservative. It's built in. So you're going to know by virtue of financing, if you're buying like a decent enough deal that you can at least break even or make a little bit of cash flow because no lender is going to allow you to get a loan amount greater than what the property can cash flow for with lots of room. So 
Um, I, for me, it's like, if you want to keep using the excuse that the market's going to correct the, this, the rates, the whatever, I don't want to like not get a deal on a property. My thing is, is are these excuses? Sometimes it's legitimate. Are these excuses or is this legitimate? This is the conversation that you need to have with yourself when you're deciding if you want to buy. It's the same battle we have with ourselves as well. We think about this stuff too. We, as apartment owners already, like you're always going to be thinking about these things, but at some point you need to just get in the freaking game. So there's that saying, um, I forget who came up with it. It's vitamin Charlie Munger. Um, it's not a, it's quit trying to time them. It's not timing the market. It's time in the market. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of stock people, what they do is crystal knows I get to talk to a lot of very smart, sophisticated people. I think they are. And they're whether entrepreneurs have a lot of money. And their philosophy has been over and over, let's just take the stock market, is it could be real estate. Kenny, I just do a cost average. So every month I allocate this much money and I put it in the market, I put it in Bitcoin, and I also set money aside to buy real estate. And every year I just buy real estate. If it's up, it's down, it's up and down. But when I've looked over 100 years, 50 years, 20 years, whatever, the S&P, let's just use that, it kicks back, I think, whatever, 10% return. Some years it's up, some years it's down. But, but if average. I put money in every year, I'm getting this is the average. So they said same. They're doing crypto or Bitcoin or whatever. If you put a dollar in Bitcoin 12 years ago, one dollar in Bitcoin, I think a dollar, hundred dollars in Bitcoin a year ago, and you put a dollar in gold, I think Bitcoin is worth like yeah. it's worth exponentially. Yeah. yeah. So I think the same thing is real estate. So when Crystal and I talk to big owners, they think differently. They're like. This and that. Look, don't get me wrong. If the market crashes, the big owner is going to be like, let's leverage up. Let's buy more. Maybe I, maybe I buy a deal or two a year because that's how I do it. When the market crashes, they might be like, shit, I'm going to go to try to buy 10. But they're going to get to work. They're going to go leverage more. They're going to be going cash out. Let's go. Let's go. Right? So, but they're, they're always buying. They're buying because they want it. They're buying for tax reasons. They're buying because they, that's what they do. So I think, again, it comes back to, it's not trying to time the market. It's time in the market. So I think that is correct or price is going to come down and stuff. I don't think prices are going to come down anytime soon, but if they do come down, what are we talking about here? I mean, are we, are we going to go build, are they going to build 17, you know, 1500, uh, new apartment buildings in San Diego? No, there's not enough. Are they going to build a hundred? I don't even know if they can build a hundred here, you know, but there's other places. So I just think right now is there is a run. I think, unfortunately, if, if you buy a single family home today, probably going to be worth more in two years. So if you wait, it's going to go higher. That's and another reason for the, the C property play, because uh, at least in California where we're at, they're not really building a lot of C class apartments. They're not building a lot of workforce housing because the numbers don't work. It doesn't make sense. So that's just another good, uh, I would say, argument for buying C properties as well. And I will tell you this. Here's a, there's a lot of realtors I talk to and the offers. A lot of these people that are buying houses, it's all cash. They say the amount of all cash offers, it's insane. Where did they get this money? I said, uh, guys, have you heard a whole thing called like Coinbase or tech companies that go public all the time? People invest it. We've got somebody buying an apartment building right now and it's taking profits uh, out of Bitcoin to buy an apartment building and put a significant amount in. Exactly. So a lot of people have a lot of money and made a lot of money and they set there. So my point is, I'm not talking people paying cash for just a million dollars. I'm talking four million, I'm talking 50 million, whatever it is, it's all over. People have a lot of money and people are moving from San Francisco to this or that. So it's very hard. And trust me, like when I listen to all, 
perspective. I listen to Dave Ramsey, who's completely different than I do. I like to hear his perspective. He has a huge audience. People call him and go, should I buy now? Well, of course you're going to buy now. Why? It's not going to get any cheaper. Is the market crash? No, because he gets the same fundamentals and listings that I do that somebody else does. So I just think when you're looking now, unfortunately, like the interest for us, is it a good time to buy or sell? Is it going to be more expensive in 20 years or less? So I know we went off on like a real long tangent before we get into finding deals, but I think it was important, uh, like I said, just for the people who were super confused by all the noise uh, that's out there. It's just a lot of noise. Right Look at now. the data. Oh my gosh, but the, it's so much. It's, it's it's honestly the top. Like, but the data's not. Noise. But the data's there. Right. So you have to look at data. Um, and it sounds like you should probably tune into Penny's market update because he's gonna have a lot of data on it. Hell yeah. <laughs> so now let's get into finding deals. The first and most like I, I would say easiest way if you're looking um, for apartments, I would say is LoopNet. And there is uh, this thing. I mean, everybody says all the crappy properties are on LoopNet. Don't look there. That's all the properties nobody wants. They're overpriced. MLS. And MLS. Um, but that may be slightly true, but we've gotten a lot of really good deals that were listed and that were on LoopNet that we've done really well on. Um, you know, first off, LoopNet is great because you can see what brokers are listing deals and what their activity is. Uh, love that. So now you can call brokers. You can see, you know, some of them might be newbies, some of them not, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, the other thing is, is that you get practice underwriting deals. So you want to start looking in certain areas. Maybe that's not the property that you're going to buy, but that is good practice for you to run your numbers and go through the exercise. I know people who've underwritten, you know, 100 deals before they bought their first one. I'm not saying that you should do that. Uh, that that's right or wrong or good or bad. Uh, but LoopNet will give you a lot of practice. It'll let you look at deals about having to call people and get information. You can do it at night. You can do it in your free time. You can do it when nobody else is working. It's a, it's a good option. Secondly, there are a lot of gems in LoopNet, in my personal opinion. You need to look for these deals. But sometimes there are deals that sat on the market forever, went in and out of escrow for whatever reason. And actually, it's a good deal. We, we helped one of our clients buy a property just like that. It went in and out of escrow four times. It was listed for like six months. No, everybody was ignoring the deal because they just thought it was like old, it was stale, whatever, whatever. Our client bought it and he, you know, in less than six months, we helped him rehab it and he got a million dollars in equity after he bought it. So total, uh, I, I think it's a, a total misconception that LoopNet is a bad place to find deals. Uh, you can certainly find deals and then you can also find brokers to help you build the relationships. Ken, what do you think about LoopNet? Yeah, I mean, there's loop debt, there's MLS. The cool thing about this is, right, um, deals get bad stigma, if that's the name. Like, they're like, oh, we heard, I heard the seller's a pain in the ass, and yeah. Or I heard there's a foundation problem. He, or he's I not accepting offers, yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of deals that happen. You know, there's, there's always deals, and we know people personally, personally finance them, I finance them. Like, there's deals that been on MLS last year, I was like, that was listed? Yeah. Really? Damn, I, would, I didn't even buy it for you and I would have bought that damn deal. Yeah. Like the cash flow, like I saw one of the best cash flow four units like my client bought ever. And I was like, I called him, I go, how did you find That was on MLS? He goes, yeah. He goes, we, we, I was like, he's like, I was going to have to go like rob a bank if I had to be close. I'm like, this is probably one of the best cash flow deals. So. But honestly, I think it's it's about your creativity and your ability to look at a property and see where you can add value. Because if you're just looking at the property based on what they have on paper, 
you're probably, you're right. It, it's probably not going to look like a great deal, but if you drive the property, you look at the numbers and you go, oh, I can do this. I can do that. I can increase the income here. I can maybe add storage. I can maybe charge rubs. I can, you know, all these things that maybe a broker is not necessarily thinking about because a lot of these brokers, some of them are not apartment owners. Like they, they just are kind of doing Some are residential guys. And they have a formula and they just kind of use the same thing over and over again and don't give it a ton of thought and they don't really understand where they could add value. So you have to understand where the hidden gems are and that's how you're going to find properties. So uh, I 100% think LoopNet is great. Let me say one last thing about LoopNet in the last, just to stay, uh, I don't know if it's a strategy or just my opinion. If you want to have success in a place like LoopNet and MLS, you need to be on there all the time. You need to set up alerts. So when something comes on, you immediately jump on it. You look at it. I get an instant email uh, when something new is listed. Exactly. So that is the key. And like Crystal said, is you're ready to go. You have your lender. You got your cash. You know your deal. Look, the finding. You know your criteria. We talked before. You know. So when something goes up, you're like, that's in my wheelhouse. Let's go call the broker move. I'll check. I got my lender. I got you could just, Hey, here's my lender. Call him now. Call Henry. Call. I tell people, have that person call me. I will. I've helped people literally when I, oh, buy the four unit. Yeah. I go, yeah. Let's go. This guy's looked at four deals. If you choose, he is ready. He lost four deals. He wants this deal. Let's go. That will help. But also this be ready. Market. You have to be ready. Be ready. So my thing is loop that MLS, be ready to move, know your criteria and strike. Don't wait around. Don't sit there and go think about it. Just get it and go. Yeah. And uh, for everybody, you know, especially if you're new, you probably don't have like an analysis uh, spreadsheet or a form. You can always uh, email us or DM us on Instagram, whatever. If you're looking for a spreadsheet to use for your analysis on deals, um, just DM us and I can send you one. Uh, it's quick. Like for me, uh, I tell people all the time, if you're looking at a deal and you're not sure what it qualifies for, you just even want my opinion. Send it over. I mean, I, I literally do this every day for a living and it takes me like 10 minutes to underwrite a deal. Like it's just to the point where it's so fast and so easy for us that we underwrite deals all day long. So, uh, but you definitely want to have that spreadsheet ready. So you can kind of plug the numbers in, do a rough underwrite. Like just because you do your rough underwrite, that you're not done with your underwriting at that point. Then you have to verify everything after your offer is accepted and you have to make sure it's all accurate and, and whatnot. But you do a rough underwrite, I would say you drive the property, you make the offer, and then you start doing all your due diligence to verify all those numbers. But um, up front, you're going to want to run, run the sizer and make sure that the numbers work for you, um, or at least know at what price the numbers work for you. So that way you can be quick and ready to write an offer. Yeah, the next one uh, is brokers. So I'll jump in here. Brokers are, I mean, honestly, that's the goal. Why is it the goal? Because that's how you get the off-market deals. Um, not the only way, but brokers are, it's building relationships. It's and it's not to say that off-market deals are always the best deals either. No. But, I mean, think about it. A broker's job is to find deals, okay? So they spend every single day of their life, uh, several hunting. hours a day, hunting for deals, talking to potential sellers, uh, building relationships, driving properties, going through escrows with people, like, learning all these details. So they're the best person, like, for you to think that you can find deals about brokers is crazy just because they are like boots on the ground every single day finding deals. That's what they do. It's their job. It's how they get paid. They don't get paid unless the deal closes. So they are professional deal hunters. And let me just tell you something about brokers, which a lot of people that might be listening to this not may not know, but this is really, really important. 
Some brokers have been being brokers for 10 years, five years, 20 years. Some broker that might be bringing you a deal might have been talking to this owner for five years, seven years. They put a lot of work, a lot of effort, right? So when that deal is going to come up, trust me, they already know who is a potential buyer. So I will just tell you this. You might work with one broker, five brokers, whatever it is. It really it doesn't matter. It's your relationship. Um, we interviewed, uh, you know, I'm trying to think over there in Dallas, Mike. Um, thank you. Darren. No, Mike. No, uh, uh, from um, Michael Becker. Michael Becker. He, he meets, Are you said Yeah, yeah. He, he meets yes. with, he told us live, he meets with. His job is to continuously meet with these nine brokers, whatever. And my, my point is, is that when that deal comes on, they might be saying, hey, Kim, I got this lady. She proposed here. What do you think? Are you ready? They want to put that deal to somebody that's going to execute and make them look good. So a relationship with a broker, it's not just like hit it, quit it. It's like. And those relationships take time. Yeah, but okay. you could be getting that. that yeah. That deal that you want to work up to in three, four years, that you're you gotta stay with them. So work those relationships. Like Michael says, I take them out to lunch. We go, I don't know, they, they do different things. They and hang out. Your lunch, you don't want to waste a broker's time. Yeah. Because I think, you know, this is the thing. I what I learned is the best way to build relationships with brokers is to, to do deals. Like yeah. basically be a buyer, put your money where your mouth is, do deals. So over time. You're, so the first time you work with a broker, they're not bringing you their best secret deal that they're going to bring to their client who's been building a relationship with them for years, has closed several deals, no problems. Um, they're not going to bring you those deals. So if you think you're going to get some home run deal, yes, there's a chance, but don't expect that. That's not the expectation. You have to build a relationship with the brokers. And quite frankly, you don't want to really waste their time and call them and ask all these questions and suck up because it, it, they do talk. Like I actually have people that I've spoken to that are looking for apartments and, you know, multiple brokers will call me and, Hey, have you talked to this person? Uh, wow. Yeah. They've been like wasting my time. They've been looking at all these deals. They never performed. And they, they've gotten an escrow a few times and were such a pain in the butt, totally unrealistic, fell out. Like, you know, then I had egg on my face with the seller. These are the kinds of people who are not going to really build those relationships. So you do have to be strategic about that. I personally think that, yes, uh, eventually you're going to have lunch with a broker. Like you do your first uh, uh, closing with a broker, you buy your first property, you're going to go to a closing lunch or a closing dinner and thank them. Um, you're going to do something like that. So then you can build on the next relationship. Tell them your goals. What are you looking to do? When's the next property you think that you're going to want to buy? What's your overall strategy? So, I mean, you're going to build those relationships, but they take time. And so to think that you're going to get the best deal from a broker, like day one, it's not going to happen, but you want, you need to start building that relationship now, because I will tell you, we have won deals multiple, on multiple occasions with several other offers based on our reputation in the community and the relationship with the brokers. And even sometimes the sellers or the property manager for the, the properties that we're selling. So over time, people are going to get to know your name, either for good reasons or bad reasons. You can uh, choose how that's going to be, and that is how you're going to start building relationships with brokers. Think about it this way, too. You don't have to go every broker. You're going to find your work, but imagine this, and this is a true statement. There are brokers that are like, they want to close a deal with you. They're excited to close a deal with you. They just want to close a deal with you because they think maybe you're a great person or a great guy or vice versa, right? There's that mutual respect. That's what you're going for. So if you want to go, well, what kind of relationship? 
Build a friendship, a relationship. You might, they might not bring you a deal, but they might call you in two years and have that deal. Oh my gosh, you said you wanted a fifty-year deal here. Well, I got it. I got this is the deal right here. Like holy smokes, let's go. You know, you just never know. So you don't. So you want to kind of start. But I agree with Crystal. Like you know, being a pain in the ass. Look, if something goes wrong, the deal. Take him out to lunch. You know, go say, hey, I'm sorry, it didn't work out. We're still in the game. Like I don't want you to hold like big. Be transparent. Be don't, don't be a weirdo about things because you know if. If things aren't transparent, if things are weird on your side, they're probably feeling the same way. They're just, they're, they're not going to you know, waste their time with you. Okay, so after brokers, I mean, this is pretty much how we find deals through LoopNet, through brokers. Like, this is pretty much how we're looking for deals. Can I give you the mailer story? Other people are doing mailers, like literally sending out letters. And Penny can kind of go through this with you. We don't do this. Uh, but we have many, many clients who've been very successful. We might be doing it when we buy a house one day. When? Like when I'm 80? One day. Or like, yeah. It'll be before you're 80. When I'm going into the retirement home. So a lot of people are like, oh, mailers don't work, this and that. So let me just tell you they do work. Uh, I have a client down in San Diego, San Clemente. And he has been sending mailers. He's a mobile home park owner, multifamily owner, and he owns a lot of single family. That's about it. Yeah. He exchange had some exchanges and this was uh this is when this is when short sales were like uh kind of going on down and i was like short sales so around so this guy got to listen to short sales because you know this person is really nice everybody wants you want to work with this guy like for sure so he was sending out this letter with a picture of him and his family and like a letter like i'm an investor and i was like does this crap really work i mean i We've done a lot of financing. I don't know how much, probably $30, $40 million of probably financing. I mean, this guy bought some incredible deals by the letter. And I remember it was like back to back. I was like, from the letter, he's like, I mean, let's say you bought 15 homes in this uh, San Clemente area. I bet you five of them were from the letter. I couldn't believe it. One was a 90 year old guy that, are, that did this rent back. One was this lady that just, Oh my gosh, Metro Lowe's the perfect timing. My mom passed, and I just like don't want to listen. And then Corey's like the nicest guy. Oh, I mean, so it, it's so it works. There is a strategy. You gotta be rep, you got you gotta keep doing it, doing it, doing it. But it does work, and it can work. And we know people here that it's worked, so it can work. My suggestion is is if you're gonna send a letter, um, what works for people I hear is put a picture with you and your dog if you don't have family. Are you your family, your dog? You want to be friendly. You want to be kind. You want to be like they can see personable. you personable through your picture. And then his message was kind of like, hey, I'm a real estate investor. Let me know if you're selling property. We can quick and easy. And that's what he would do. He'd make sure I make it quick and easy for him. So um, where do you find how to send, like where to send these letters to? Who? So most people target a neighborhood. So, like, for him, he's like, I like this neighborhood right around here, a zip code, and he would go to a title rep and get their mailing and then send it out, and he would just basically so, beat the shit out of it. So, title rep. So, basically, you can contact a, a rep at a title company, and you can ask for a list of owners, and you can give specific criteria, and they can pull it. So, for example, when we send mailers out, we'll send mailers out to every, you know, owner of five-plus units in California, for example. Um, or just you can be that general, but like Kenny said, you could also say, I want to send um, a letter to every person who owns a one to four unit property in, in, this, Park, in this zip code or yeah, this area, exactly. whatever. 
um, and then you can actually do the letters that way. So um, we have actually a lot of people who do it successfully. Brokers do it successfully. Uh, people who want to buy properties do it successfully. So it is a way to do it. Um, you just sort of have to decide how you want to spend your time. There's only so much, so many hours in a day. Um, so for us, we don't typically do it because we have full-fledged businesses that we run and we rely on brokers to help us find deals. Uh, but there are people who are doing that very successfully and honestly getting a lot of deals. I, I've said for years we should be doing it. We just don't. It's, it's an issue of prioritizing our time and that has not made its way up the list yet. Yeah, I think when we're ready to buy a deal because of our relationship they seem to fall on our lap, but that's obviously, we put a lot of time and effort into that. So if you're new and you have the time, honestly, a mailer is a great idea. Yep. Any, any other ways to find deals? I, I don't think, you know, there's no like secret methods to finding deals. There's a lot of other things that people do that I'm not aware of. Like, I think I get, uh, these days I get a lot of, um, like people on Facebook from India asking me about yeah, there's skip a, tracing. There, there, there's there's an absolute another way. Um, one of our clients is a real estate investor and just got a cold call. And I was surprised because we know talking about it, we never sold a house to anybody. And uh, an agent called him. So that a VA buyer that fell out three times, is ready to go, wants to buy your house. And first called the wife and he called goes, why do you keep calling me for us? And he just looks in that and he goes, okay. He gave me the offer, woke up the next morning, is in the mailbox, is promised and they're closing on it. And he's exchanging with something else. And um, this is the person that he said, Penny, I've never done this and I would never think you'd do this, but it was quick, easy. So yeah, calling 100% works. Just like brokers that call every single day to find deals. If some people um, we know that have in-house teams that call and they buy deals off market and then they work with brokers and both. So hammering that phone you will 100% get deals if you want to do that. So it just depends. I mean, some of you, for some people, this is not their career. It's more of a yeah. side hustle or a retirement plan, so they don't have the time to do that. But there are other ways to find real estate, depending on how much time you have. And Look, you can so. do it. There's, you, can put, you can put things in the newspaper. Everybody's like, that's stupid. Who looks at the newspaper? Well, your grandma does, and she might want to get rid of her house. And let me tell you one thing about that I learned from a guy that sent mailers that the flipper that he learned from elderly people is that if they're selling a home in an area, number one, they don't want to deal with listing and people coming in. Number two, one of the things was, is they are very embarrassed of how their home looks. Yeah. Nobody's ever gotten into it. So one of the caveats, one lady was like, you're going to buy my house. You're going to sign that when I close, nobody's allowed in here. You demo and get all the shit out of here when they come in. I don't want people to know in my neighborhood maybe I saw how to live. Yeah. So what he realized is, well, old people want it quick, easy, simple, and they don't want to deal with it. And look, that's just what it is. Not everybody wants to list their property on the yeah. market and deal with all these competing offers and having people tracing through their property and all and you know providing a bunch of paperwork. So I think sometimes when you're going direct too, you're not going to get all the due diligence paperwork. So if you're new to this, maybe that's not something that you're comfortable with because a broker is actually going to like make sure that he checks a lot of boxes and walk you through that process. If you are, you know, sending mailers or calling and things like that, you might not be getting all of that information, uh, but you could get a really good deal because also too, there's no broker commissions to pay. There's other reasons why you're going to get a better deal, but you're also doing a lot of the legwork yourself and you're taking on a lot of risk. So, um, but, but experienced people do it. I'm going to give you two more things. My mastermind 
Um, a guy was there. It's a big home flipper. He does radio. He's been doing it forever. He's famous. He crushes it with radio. The other person, I'll mention his name. It's part of the mastermind. Does uh, flip or flop? Tarek. Tarek. Yeah, Tarek. Sorry. Um, there is a new company. Don't know what it's called. You basically pay them, and they drive around and drive around in neighborhoods, and they spot certain type of properties, and they take a picture, flag it, and it sends that person a postcard. Well, I will tell you. So outside of all this, like let's say uh, there are real estate investment groups. So there are groups that you can seek out to help you where if you're looking to buy residential properties, they'll actually find the properties for you and run the numbers. And then you just kind of have to double check them and make a decision on the investment on the investment. And you can do that. Um, so that is one other way. Like there is a membership fee, but it's kind of cool because you get access to a community. You can ask people a lot of questions. They have a lot of courses and teaching and stuff like that. So that goes down to hiring a mentor that was one of your team members. So if you decide to go that route, you can. Um, the other thing is, is if you decide that you're a passive investor, then what you really need to do is just do your research on different syndicators and decide who, you know, the people that you feel confident investing with. And you look at the deals as they have opportunities come up and decide if you want to invest your money that way. That takes a lot of the guesswork out of building relationships with brokers and looking on LoopNet and running all your numbers. Um, basically you would invest passively with someone who does all that legwork for you. Then you just double check to make sure you agree with the numbers and the investments and the opportunity and you write a check and you're done. So that is another way to find deals is to do it passively through a syndicator. Um, I would say that that's probably the easiest thing. So if you feel like your job's really demanding or maybe you're just not that interested and you don't want to deal with all this stuff, it's just too much work management and all the things that come with being a direct owner. Um, then maybe investing passively is for you because you can still get cash flow and then you can actually have someone who is more of an expert in the field that's doing all the labor work where you can still invest your money and make a return. So that's, a, that's another way uh, to go. Yeah, that's, we gave you a lot of... There's so many options, so honestly, many. that there's really no excuse uh, not to get started investing, uh, whether it's in real estate or whatever. I think, you know, the thing for me is that you have to pick a lane because there's all these kind of things like you mentioned uh, today is like, the stock market and everybody's investing in Bitcoin and then real estate's really popular. So it's very easy to, to spread all your time uh, learning about Bitcoin or learning about certain stocks or, you know, people are saying like invest in index funds or put your money in this or that or the other thing. There's all EFTs or whatever the other thing, NFTs, like there's all this stuff coming out, like all these new like trendy things. The thing is, is that you need to sort of pick a lane, do your research and then move on something. But the problem is, you're looking at all these different things you're never going to accomplish anything because you're not your time's going to be diluted and you're never going to be uh making a decision to move on something so yeah i'd say like if you really really want to find a deal and you put the time and effort and energy into it whether it's you know um sending out mailers talking to brokers looking at loop to mls you will find a deal it's it, the people that are finding deals they're on it every day that are active they're just it's, it's a part of the routine it's like if you're listening to this and you're in a sales job and you know, out of the eight hours a day you work, you know, three hours is originating new business for whatever you do. It's the same thing. If you spend every day originating on trying to find new uh, properties, then you will find them. Yep. So if you have any questions or if you want my sizer on how I analyze deals, I'm happy to send it to you. Just a DM me, you know, where to find me on Instagram, get the cash flow game, just figure out more. Um, or 
where you can submit it through our website. There are so many ways to get a hold of us. I mean, Google my name and lots of plenty of things will come up or Google Kenny's name, plenty of things will come up. Um, and we're always happy to kind of give you our opinion on deals and whatnot. So feel free to read that anytime. And of course, don't forget to like this, share this, subscribe, and give us a glowing review so that we can continue to bring you more valuable information. Thanks guys for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.